All right. Welcome to the CXM Experience. As usual, I'm your host, Brad Kahn, CXO or Chief Experience Officer at Sprinkler. And uh, today I want to talk a little bit about community management. We haven't actually talked about this a lot recently. Uh, and I'll go I'll just a little bit of background on sort of my model of community management, uh, what I've executed uh, in my previous roles, uh, what I executed at Sprinkler or what we do execute at Sprinkler is probably a better way to put it, and uh, what we're sort of seeing out there. And there's a very specific issue that comes up a lot, which is what do I do with you know, offensive language or things that are sort of off-brand in communities, groups, or on pages on social platforms that are a part of my brand. Uh, do I delete them? Do I edit them? Do I hide them? What's the current best practice? So I'm going to talk a little bit about that. Um, but first, let me kind of give you a bit of background on community management in general, uh, the CXC model in general, which I would say um, I'm seeing executed more often, but still think is under executed overall and is a big opportunity. And then we'll sort of wrap up. So let's talk a little bit about community management. So community management started um, in the 2009-2010 era. Um, social platforms had been out for a few years at that point. Uh, you had Facebook coming out in 2002 and Twitter coming out in 2004. So they were starting to get some momentum. Uh, brands who had only just established themselves on the web, you know, within the previous decade, uh, were now beginning to set up their own pages or individuals sort of on a somewhat rogue basis would set up pages for the brands as well. And so now brand conversations were beginning to happen as well. And what would happen is that when a brand conversation would occur, people would talk to the brand and expect some kind of reply. Uh, and if they didn't get a reply, then kind of weird, right? So you had to have somebody doing it. And these became community managers. Um, community managers also took on a role of managing and maintaining the page, updating it, you know, putting up new brand news, making sure that the images were correct, staying within brand guidelines, uh, and generally making it a brand experience. Uh, and I would say that for all of us, I mean, I, I was kind of, I kind of plunged into this in about 2011. Uh, and for all of us at the time, you know, I don't know if I'd like to think I was really prescient and saw it all, but I think initially it was just like, we should sort of probably be talking to people who are trying to talk to us. And it was like, I think it was just that simple. And, uh, and what was, but was interesting in community management uh, and I remember my, my head of the CXE came to me one day is that, uh, and he said to me, he said, you know, Grad, I really believe in people. And I'm like, yeah, that's great. I, I believe in people too. And he said, uh, and I really like people. And I'm like, yeah, I, I, like, I like people too. Where, where, where are you going with this? And he goes, I don't know if I can think about people the same way anymore now that I've been cleaning off the graffiti, quotation marks, that are on all these pages. And, and it was actually kind of funny. He showed me a few examples, but the, the depths of depravity that humanity can uh, express, even in words alone, uh, is quite stunning. And, of course, they would post these on the brand pages, and then we would, we would, we would delete them. Um, some brands hide them. Uh, no, very few edit them. Uh, you do have to be almost no one responds because you want them to fall to the bottom as quickly as possible. But I'll, I'll come back to this in a minute. So the way, the way we did it, though, is that uh, so classically what was happening is that um, a lot of sort of 
Um, you know, I'm not trying to pat myself on the back here, by the way, this is just more of an observation. So slightly more innovative business leaders were sort of grabbing the reins and setting up these little community management pods. And so, um, and I'm not trying to say that I'm like super innovative or anything. I'm just like, I'm just, I have a tendency to try new things and that's just the way my brain works. And that's, you know, there's nothing particularly special about that, but, but and I would be one of those people, which is like, let's get into this. And a lot of other people were like, well, let's wait and see. Right. So what would happen is you'd see, you know, a, sort of to be an innovative brand manager at P&G and that person would start a community management and they start managing their brand. Many other brands would not be managed. Uh, and, and so you saw, and then of course, as it started to kind of take hold, it became obvious that we did need to do more community management because sometimes brand sites are being set up by consumers, right? Who wanted to have a site about their favorite brand is so that's obviously not acceptable and we can't let that happen. So, so we were sort of being dragged into it almost, uh, you almost kind of had to do something with it. You couldn't just completely ignore it. And then, um, uh, and then what would happen is you'd have you know, potentially a reasonable number of community managers in an organization, 50, 60, 70 community managers, but they were all sitting in siloed pockets in separate brands, separate countries, separate regions, et cetera. And there was very, it was very hard to get your hands around, you know, what they were doing and how they were doing it. And it was very hard for them to learn from each other. So, so at Microsoft, we were just a little behind the curve generally as a company in this space. Uh, and it was, you know, it's, it's a conservative company for good reasons. There's a lot of really good reasons why Microsoft should be conservative. And we were working under a DOJ injunction at the time because of the, uh, because of the case we lost with Netscape. And so just, it was you know, kind of a complicated time. So, so around 2011, 2012, when we started into this, we were tiptoeing. Okay. We were very, very careful, which is actually why we ended up buying Sprinkler. Uh, because the Sprinkler team came in and they were like, we're all about governance and security and privacy and you know, GDPR and uh, California Privacy Act didn't exist at the time. But, you know, there were many, many privacy rules sort of evolving around the world. And and they were clearly on top of all that stuff. And so I thought, you know, I've had a sort of a sense that the Sprinkler team, um, because of the way that they'd architected the product from a governance standpoint, I had the uh, lowest likelihood of being fired um, due to some kind of un untoward incident, right? And there had been some super famous ones at the time. There was a brutal one uh, on American Airlines where a community manager uh, thought that she was posting to her personal feed, her personal Twitter feed, uh, but instead she was posting to the corporate Twitter feed and she posted a very pornographic image uh, and that, you know, included an airplane. Let's just kind of leave it at that. And, uh, and of course, another great thing about sprinkler is that's impossible. You can't be signed in to two different things at the same time. It's that can't happen. Uh, so that was another great reason why I wanted to have sprinkler, but the, um, I do every once in a while when I see this happen, because it actually continues to happen still to today. There's a, just a few companies out there, not many left that don't use Sprinkler, but there's a few companies out there that are still doing some native posting and stuff like that. And when I see the offensive image that was posted and where the excuse is they thought they were going to post it to their personal page, I'm always like, you post that to your personal page? <laughs> I was like, what party am I missing? Like, I wouldn't post that anywhere. What are you doing? Um, anyway, so so what we decided to do, uh, because we were we were working with a, a number of different brands, and we were, like I said, a little bit later to the party, so we had the advantage of sort of seeing what had been sort of evolving elsewhere, 
is we thought, why don't we centralize the community management function? So that led to the creation of this customer experience center model at uh, Microsoft, which is now a model being used by many companies around the world, like Samsung and Nike and many, many others. But, uh, but it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great model because what it allows you to do is allows you to have, uh, let's say, 50 to 100 community managers in one place. Um, they learn from each other. They see breaking trends. They can jump on memes together. Uh, they can load balance, right? Things start to get really hot on a brand. Uh, you can sort of move a few people over. Um, for example, uh, products like an Xbox would uh, have a, a burst at the holidays because, you know, a lot of people are buying Xboxes for the holidays. That's so not, not particularly shocking. Or if there was a, a Windows release, uh, we would sort of overload balance on Windows. So make sure that if any issues came up, uh, we could be the front line to being able to solve those things really quickly for customers so people weren't inconvenienced and didn't have to wait in line for customer care or phone calls and all that all that stuff. So that that was a it was a pretty interesting model and particularly the load balancing I actually think was really good because it also would work in reverse where a newer brand that was maybe newer to the party wanted to sort of try it out. What they could do is they could get a half a community manager, right? They didn't need to buy a whole person. And so, or a quarter, you know, even like they could just say, I just want to have this person do stuff for me on Monday and Tuesday morning. And we'll, and we'll sort of see what we get out of that. And then we can maybe decide to invest more based on how that works or, or back it off or whatever. And so, so the model actually, and I would say what made it work really well, and this is obviously challenging in a COVID era, but when it worked really well then, and we were on a steep learning curve, was the ability for all the community managers to learn from each other. That was a super duper interesting, super powerful. And so um, that sort of is the model for CXC. Um, today, I, I think that there's a sort of a new step, which is, you know, you have a CXC. And I think the other, the other interesting advantage of a CXC is that you also sort of somewhat centralize consumer insight. And so you essentially plant a uh, virus in the company that uh, consumer voice is coming into this place and you can go here and you can be customer centric and we can hear what's happening and we can see how this unstructured, uh, unsolicited commentary is coming in from all these different data sources. Uh, that, that's powerful. It's powerful to have that bright light in the company that people know to go towards. However, uh, you are seeing companies like L'Oreal, and I did a really interesting webinar with uh, Lubomir Rocher, who's the CDO there. Um, they're actually moving to the next level. And I think the next level is, I'm not sure you get rid of the CXC. It's always good to have some centralized motion. But the next level is everybody in the company needs to be engaging with customers. And we need to coordinate across multiple silos and multiple you know, regions and business units and functions. And so that's where the collaboration feature of Sprinkler has become really important. Uh, the content marketing platform that everyone can draw from the same content has become really important. And you're seeing you know, now thousands and thousands of licenses as companies work to essentially become customer-centric as a full organization. So those are sort of the stage one, people all over the place, stage two, centralized in one location, stage three, mass adoption across the entire company as the entire company becomes a modern enterprise. And I think that it's not insane to imagine that those three models can also exist at the same time, right? So there's nothing wrong with maybe having some people attached to brands who maybe are taking a very specific lens on that brand. 
uh, have a large central group, which is managing the technology uh, and managing sort of the overall customer input and feedback and routing, and then start to incorporate, you know, a broader scale democratization of the customer uh, engagement, but with some insight from what the other groups have been doing. So, you know, it, it, it all works. It depends really on your company and what you're trying to do. So the specific question that comes up over and over again is, what do I do with all this graffiti? So I'll go back to the, uh, the quick story I had at the beginning, which is, you know, shaken faith in humanity based on the um, vehemence of commentary that people put into these uh, brand pages. And it really is shocking. I mean, it really is shocking. The kinds of things that people say with their name attached to it, or maybe it's an acronym or a pseudonym or something like that, but it's still like, you're still kind of attached to it. And Yes, it's amazing what people will say, actually. Um, but um, I do have a specific point of view on it, right? I actually think that um, a lot of people hide them, uh, and a number of very large brands uh, hide them. But you know, it, it, there's profanity and you know hate speech. Um, you get a lot of really bad stuff in terms of uh, racism and politics and all that kind of stuff. I just delete it. You know, I. I think those comments should just be deleted. And I, I and I don't think anyone is going to sort of feel like the brand isn't listening to them when the brand's just simply getting rid of stuff that is uh, offensive. You know, CNN used to have comments on all their articles. They don't really anymore. But yeah, I think they had to stop it because the articles would have this you know, fairly interesting article. Then there's comments and the first one or two comments would be okay. And then they would rapidly devolve into like people calling each other Hitler, you know, and that's like this progression of the commentary. And it was just like, it's sort of stupid and pointless. And so I think when you see stuff like that on your brand page, you should clean it off. Um, I would actually call it graffiti. Uh, I would think of it like graffiti and uh, use the model that um, uh, Rudy Giuliani, which Interesting. When the time when he was America's mayor, um, Rudy Giuliani um, inherited a New York subway system that was covered in graffiti. And uh, it was very hard to kind of manage and maintain. And the idea was they they made sure that they always wiped all the graffiti off. And so the trains were pristine as they are today. Uh, and if even one piece of graffiti was left to stand, it would soon attract more graffiti. Uh, just like if you leave one piece of paper on the ground, it soon attracts more litter. And so I would say remove all graffiti from your handles and, uh, and from your commentary and sites. And if it's completely out of control, you know, eventually maybe turn off comments. So that's CXC model, community management, some, some thoughts on um, how do you manage posts uh, within your community. And if you've got any questions, you can always uh, DM me on Twitter. I'm at gradcon. Uh, trying to say something nice. All right. So for the CXM experience, I'm Grad Khan, and I'll see you next time.